Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. We are here with Deputy Chief Mike Turpak, and I'm going to tell you why I'm so excited about this, because I'm going to go, we're going to, I'm going to date both of us right now, Chief, but 1991, I attend, I attend the academy. You are my academy instructor. You're a firefighter at the time from Jersey City. Um, We honestly looked at you. I'm not even joking about this. We looked at you like you were larger than life because you just had this thing like, hey, this is what we're trying to become. This guy that that understands what we're up against. And I'm going to tell you something before I uh, get into asking you questions, because I found this to be one of the most awesome things ever is what you posted yesterday. And this is what you posted on your Mike Turpak fire service training and consulting page. You posted standpipe operations. It is a great idea to put an inline gate valve onto the riser. Think about it. The riser valve probably hasn't been opened in years. When you need to quickly flow your hose line and set your operating pressure, this valve makes it easier. Lessons I learned from HROC, Pensacola, Florida. This is why I love it. Mm. Because 1991, the very first talk you gave to us as recruits was never stop learning. And uh, you're still learning now. I'm, you know, you know, when I wrote that yesterday, I just wrote it from, I mean, it was, it's the truth. I was just down there, uh, I guess it was a week, two weeks ago. And, you know, I've, I, I don't have to tell you, we have a great friend down in Pensacola, uh, County yeah. Fire Tactics, and you and I are always back and forth doing some work down there. And uh, Kurt Isaacson, obviously, is the name. And I tell you, I've, I've been invited. I think this is my third time at HROC, the High Rise Operations Conference, and they have so many talented people that come in to do these programs. And every time I'm there, whether it's you know whether it's HROC or COBC, Command Officer Boot Camp, actually, and Frank, the, the, to your point, anywhere, I am still you know googling, writing notes, and I picked up on a great tip last year, and I go, this is so valuable. It's simple, but it has makes great sense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people about it when we talk about high rise. And yeah, you're right. I'm going to be, I hate to say my age, but you opened the door here. You started this. <laughs> I'm going to be 61 in a couple of weeks. And uh, I am still, I love what I do and I'm still learning. And that's evident from what you've just obviously quoted out there. Yeah, great. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I think I didn't think about it until you just read it back to me. Well, because I said, well, that's that's the guy I learned from. And you said that the day you stop learning is the day you need to leave the fire service, because that's when you're going to get yourself or somebody hurt or killed. Mm-hmm. I see, and it's amazing that I can go back 30 years plus and I can think about lessons I learned from you when I'm just starting my career out. And so this is why I'm excited to have you on this podcast, because you are you're a friend today, but my entire career, you've been a mentor. And obviously, you know, my father's a firefighter, my brother's a firefighter, and they've been incredible influences for me in my life. You are, uh, without question, the number one professional influence in my life uh, because you've helped me 
understand the job when I first got on. You've helped me get promoted. I think anybody that doesn't take their promotional lessons from you is, is making a mistake because I've learned more from taking your classes, reading your books, and just listening to you speak at seminars than anywhere else. And then just even into speaking and writing books. I mean, my first tactical book through Penwell at the time, which is now Clarion Fire Engineer Books and Videos, was Five Round Operational Guides with you. Yes. So, so um, actually looking at a copy right here as, as, as we're talking of our book. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I actually I'm going to we'll talk a little bit about that later. But if you don't mind for everybody listening to this that that may not be familiar with uh, Deputy Chief Mike Turpak and talk about your background. I mean, you were a volunteer firefighter. Uh, what what drew you to the fire service? What was the appeal? Well, let me just start. Let me just jump in before I talk about me. Uh, let me say this. I mean, you're very kind to me. You've always been a, a great friend. Again, we've known each other for years. But, you know, let me just return the favor because, you know, when I know you're hosting this. But, you know, let me just say this to your listeners. And I know you have quite a few listeners all around the world. This guy here on the other side of the screen, this guy, Frank Frescuso, let me tell you, I am. I'm honored one to say I'm a friend of yours because I've seen you come from probably school, you know, stretching a line with the mask on, a little kid, you know, uh, with your brother Joe, another great guy, of course. And um, what you have achieved and how you have taken this, the concept of leadership and molded it, and I think have changed the way many people absorb that understanding of how to be the person, you know, to step up and lead and everything you've done there. I'm in awe of what you do. I mean it, honestly. And every time people come up to me, I say, listen, you want to have somebody take things and bring it into, you know, what I, what I would say kind of like easily and understandable, but measurable terms quickly, they have to talk to you. So I mean, I know you, you kind of put me on a pedestal and that's, you know, that's not me. I'm not as great as you make me out to be, but let me tell you, as I return the compliment, uh, it's an honor to be with you. I mean, I mean that sincerely. Now well, let's talk about right. now let's talk let's talk about me now. Now it's all about me. <laughs> enough <laughs> of you. Let's talk enough about me. Enough of you. I'm done. I got <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah. well, let's do that because you're that classic kid that chased the fire engines on the bicycle, right? Yeah. No. Well, yeah. Like probably many of the people that you do talk to over the years who have the same passion and motivation that you have and I have. You know, we started whether it was from family, brothers, or fathers, or you know similar type situations. And I was one of them. You know, my dad, when we first, I was first initially born in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, outside of Scranton. And uh, my dad was, and I didn't know this until much later, to be quite honest with you, he was a volunteer fireman in Mayfield, PA. I didn't know until I became a volunteer fireman here in New Jersey. And when he gave me his badge and he told me a couple of stories and I said, you never told me this 16 years. I'm on the search. You never told me that story. <clears throat> so we would share a few things. And I knew that I, obviously I had it from him in some way, shape or form. So at the age of 16, yes, I joined the local volunteer fire department. And, you know, once I started to get in the firehouse and they let me do some things as a young kid, I said to myself, I'm hooked. And I said, I got to figure out how to do this and make a living out of it. And then it moved on a little bit further. <clears throat> I became an auxiliary firefighter. I don't remember. Well, I started in 1976 now again to show my age. 1978, I think it was, I became an auxiliary firefighter. They had a program in Newark, New Jersey, where you can pretty much, you know, ride, you know, and assist the fire department or the companies, but in an auxiliary format, meaning you really couldn't get too involved on the inside of the structure. And a 
great department, very, you know, it was just very motivating to me. And that was kind of put the icing on the cake where I said to myself, I want to do this for a living. And that's how Jersey City came about. I took the test in the 80s, early 80s, got hired in 81 and spent 36 years there uh, and had a great time. A great time, met a lot of great people, uh, a lot of good experience during that time frame when we had some good work back in the 80s and 90s. And I'm still, you know, friendly with many of them today. You know, I'm retired now. I was saying to this, saying this to somebody today. I'm going to be retired four years in May. I can't believe it. It's gone that quickly. But uh, yeah, it flew by. Uh, it really did fly by. But again, 36 years of Jersey City, 44 plus years overall. Uh, and I'm, as you pointed out, I'm still learning. Still learning. Yeah, which is the which is the best part about it all. And, uh, you know, you're a very busy department. Talk a little bit about Jersey City, how many members and about the size of it. So, again, so people on the other side of the country have a better understanding of it. Yeah, a great question. Uh, unless you're from the, this, the Northeast, um, probably many of your listeners don't know much about us. Um, we're right across the river from lower Manhattan, uh, World Trade Center, Holland Tunnel, Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island. Um, and we have about, this is probably makes us a little bit more unique than some. And obviously you being from Hudson County, I know you can relate to this. About 300,000 people on about 14 billable square miles. So that makes us pretty densely populated. And Hudson County, where you and I are both from, I believe, and I'm sure people can check this in Google if they want to test me. I think Hudson County, New Jersey is probably the most densely populated county per square mile in the United States. So a lot of people packed into where both where I'm from and where you're from uh, and making things a little more challenging. When I started in 1981, I believe we had about 800 firefighters in the street. That number has fluctuated quite a bit over my tenure. I believe the current number is around 670 uh, people operating in the city. EMS is a separate entity, more of a private contractor even though the fire department does do some EMS work. But I think of now roughly 670, 675 firefighters handling 300,000 residents, that is, in about 14 square miles in that area that I pointed out. And in that time and in your career, like anybody else that's been through a, a career where you've seen it all, obviously, you've also seen some of the best firefighters come through and you've, mm -hmm. prob you've seen some maybe not so great firefighters come through, like we all have in fire, like any other profession. But what I wanted to talk to you about, one of the things is what makes a great firefighter. And we already started off with the whole idea of never stop learning. Mm -hmm. Like you've never arrived. For example, I've heard you say things, even in the academy and in classes, I've heard you say things like, I remember you saying this years ago, I don't know if you even still say this, is there's two ways to put out a fire. You out-resource it or you out-think it. Yeah. yeah. And, and right there, that comes down to, again, educate yourself. You need to be an educated firefighter. But what are some of the other things that you would say make a great firefighter? Uh, well, great question. Um, it's, it's funny. I was talking about this the other day with a couple of people when I was down at the uh, high rise conference. Same question, but just presented differently. One of the things that quickly comes to mind uh, that I said the other day, and I'll say it to you, and I know you're going to be right in tune to, to my thought process. It's a passion. It really is. Um, we have to, you know, when I look at this job, I don't look at it as a job. I look at it as like a calling, something that I was meant to do, where, you know, you're the first one in and you're the last one to leave. Uh, when 
the end of the evening when the you know the meal is you know cleaned up, the food is put away, the dishes are done. Those few people who were back out on the apparatus floor at eight or nine o'clock, looking to open up another compartment or maybe taking a tool out and just cleaning it one more time, just getting ready for the next run before that run comes in. Passion, motivation, dedication. Um, and you see it pretty early on. I mean, you could pick these people out of the lineup, you know, in the academy and, uh, the type of people over the years that I would gravitate towards, I would wrap my arms around and say, listen, I want you to work on my shift or I want you to work on my battalion. I would often have uh, the training division guys say, listen, I, I got a list of people for you that you're going to love. You know, we're going to send them towards you because they, we know that you and your people, me and me and my people, but the people I had the opportunity to work with are going to take them and make them better than they are they're gonna, you're going to make them great they're going to be the future leaders of the job and i would say give me all of them but i also would say like this give me some people uh, out of the academy who you think need to just be encouraged or motivated a little bit further you know maybe they're on the fence a little bit maybe they're unsure uh, maybe they had a tough time in the academy uh, maybe they were teased a little bit maybe they're a little bit lighter regarding, you know, weight and strength. I go, give me them too. I said, give me a mixed bag of everybody and I'll sister them up with people who can mentor them and move them along and make them good too. So I, I never picked certain people. I said, I want people that you think that need to be helped a little bit, people that are already there and let me dovetail them together if I can. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because you're, uh, essentially, you just talked about mentorship. And one of the things you just said is something that I always found real valuable as a deputy chief is uh, we implemented a very informal mentorship program. We would take a brand new firefighter. We'd link them up with someone who had the passion, first and foremost, that you just talked about. Uh, they they had a great attitude, gave a great effort all the time. They were in tune. They wanted to learn. They were part of the solution instead of the problem that we sometimes see in a, in a fire service, which could be summed up in a words like complacency. Sure. And I'd walk out of my apparatus floor sometimes seven, eight at night. We would train for a minimum three hours a day. You have a busy day. You're doing reports. You're taking care of your station and everything. So at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, it's understandable if they if they're t if they have their own time to do their own thing, and then I would see them on the apparatus floor. The mentor, the person I assigned as uh, for them to mentor, with a piece of equipment, going over the tool, maybe doing their own drill. And sometimes I go down, and they'd all be down there. Sometimes it's just a couple of them. But one of the things that I love to do was bring attention to that moment and say, "Hey, I'm really proud of you guys right now. I love what I'm seeing here. Right. What you're you're showing me." exactly what I want to see in you and more of in general in the fire service. So don't stop doing this. Yeah. And of course, you, when you praise in public, you tend to get more of the same of that kind of activity as mm -hmm. compared to just ignoring it or not bringing attention to it. And I wanted to just kind of touch on that a little bit because you uh, talked about that years ago. And I think you remember this, but you and I were sitting down and we were having lunch somewhere and we were talking about things we wish people told us. I think we we're at Kane University. I think we just spoke there at a conference with Vincent Dunn. Mm -hmm. And we were having lunch and we said, these are things that we wish we knew when we got on the job. And then we said, well, let's make a list of these things. We came out with 25 things that every probationary firefighter should know and do. And we wrote that list out. 
And there's a paragraph under each one, like leave your ego at the door. Don't try to force acceptance. Um, you know, be the first to arrive, the last to leave, all this stuff. And I can't even tell you how many places I go throughout the country to speak. And I see that hanging in places like the kitchen or the deputy's office. And people bring attention to that article. Anyone can find it. You can Google it. Right. But but that's again, that's about passing on the information that you already know. But do you remember that conversation when we had that conversation? I, I absolutely do. I mean, I, I haven't we haven't talked about it in years. Um, I remember talking about the list and I remember I actually saw a list similar to ours, maybe not as in depth and not as, you know, broken down and clarified to the detail that we eventually got it to uh, that kind of motivated me. And I'll tell you a quick story regarding that. Um, when I first got promoted to deputy, um, um, years ago, of course, um, I was a deputy chief and I worked in the training division in Jersey City for about 18 months before I got out to the street. And I remember finding like a f- like five little things. Well, we had 25, of course. And I remember posting <laughs> similar to what you just said on the bulletin board outside my office. So recruits would come in, you know, they'd be standing outside the office. They'd be talking to the secretary on whatever paperwork they needed to get done. And I always saw them all lining up and looking at, you know, all the training bulletins we would post. Maybe there'd be an article about a recent fire and they would always look at that little list. And I always kept that in my mind. And then when I sat down with yo and we started, you know, with a cup of coffee, the list went from five to 15 to 20 to 25. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen it in a while. I mean, I know we did it. That was quite a while ago. Yeah. But the few times that people did come up to me when they saw it, I think after it was published, I think maybe you might have put it out there. The compliments were there. And my only response when it was, well, it, it, it was already out there. We just took it and we just kind of put a little bit, you know, we just kind of put a little more water in the plant and you know, help the fertilizer a little bit. And I said to the, I forget who it was where I was, where I was teaching. I said, listen, take it. It's 25, add five more. Yeah. You know, somebody else that hadn't let them add five more. And I said, make it your own too. You know, personalize <laughs> it to your own environment, personalize it to your own backyard. But yeah, I remember that conversation. I remember teaching with Vinny Dunn. That was a great day. And uh, yeah, I remember the list. I haven't talked about it in a while, but I do remember the list. In, uh, in the book, in Fireground Operation Guys, I was just looking at it as you were talking. That was published in 2011. And it's in there. It's on a disc in that book. It's because mm. we have, I think we have 70 operation guides in that book. I actually do want to talk about this, how this came about in a moment. But but there was a, a um, bonus operational guide on the disc itself that comes in, and that's it. Yep. So it was sometime around that time that we made that list. And, and, and you always said that, you know, take this, make it your own, put your own spin on it. Just another tool in your toolbox. I think I know every Turpac phrase <laughs> and, 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 I, and I've used them all. Um, you mentioned a moment ago, you said the word promotion and you are very passionate about helping people get promoted. Now, I will tell you, um, there's some work that I've put out, uh, Step Up and Lead's an example, where I never expected Step Up and Lead to be put on list for promotional exams because I was used to books like Fire Officer's Handbook of Tactics and of course your books, Five Round Size Up. So when you're filling out that questionnaire for the for the publisher, one of the questions the, the, that they ask you is, will would this book be something used for, prom- for promotional exams? I wrote no, because I just didn't think it would. And it's that book's used all over the country uh, yeah. for promotional exams now. 
And so I will have people come up to me and say, hey, thank you for that. That really helped me get promoted. And it feels good, a complete stranger. And I'm thinking it must be really good for you with promotional prep and with you do your team there. What, what led to you getting into the whole promotional arena as an instructor? Oh God, that goes back quite a few years. Um, you know, it, it came from, again, I'll use the word passion of, you know, trying to learn and be a better firefighter. I mean, more about me being in the street, the educational side. And I've said this a few times in a couple of interviews. I remember writing a series of like little notebooks on, you know, a private dwelling fire and then adding to the a, a private dwelling notebook, you know, lessons learned, things that we did that went well, things that we did that didn't go well. And I would write sometimes the date, uh, you know, the address, maybe what influenced us at that incident, whether it was the weather, where it was a hoarding condition. And then I would go and add another notebook. I had a notebook on multiple dwellings. You know, we had a buyer in a multiple dwelling yesterday. I would write a couple little notes on, you know, the challenges, the conversations the guys were having at the kitchen table. I would listen as a young kid. I did the same for churches. I did the same for brownstones. I did the same for taxpayers. And lo and behold, I had these little notebooks that were originally meant to help me be better educated on understanding what we needed to do and learn from what we did that didn't go well, educational wise. And then when the, the promotional exams would come out, I said, you know what? Uh, you know, they had a book list uh, and I was looking at the book list. I said, I'm going to read some of those books and see how that dovetails in with some of my notes I took from the street. Then I would read you know, like a Vinnie Dunn book, of course, a great friend of ours, you know, John Norma book, another, you know, great legend out of New York City. And then you know, Brannigan book, Brannigan's books, Lane Corbett's books. And I would start to add to my notes based on the now the academic side, whatever I wrote from what I learned in the street. Yeah. I would add now the academics, what these, you know, these scholars were saying regarding building construction, location and extent type things. And what it did is it allowed me to get better prepared for the promotional exam. And it, I think it made a difference. All I had to do now is pretty much take the stuff that I learned from the street. I had in notes, stuff that I learned from books, the academic side, put it upstairs here and be able to verbalize it, you know, on the oral assessment side. And again, you know, being a good student of this as well, as well as a great teacher, meaning if you don't know it, it's not going to come out well. It's not going to sound well. You're not going to have that clarity. You're not going to have the conviction. You're not going to have the eye contact, the body language, in addition to the words on the oral assessment. It's simply either you know it or you don't. So I found value with that. I said, you know, I'm reading things. I'm writing things. I'm experiencing things that I'm hopefully going to make me a better boss someday. But the, the avenue in order to get there was I got to play the oral assessment game. And I found it, I don't want to say I found it easy, but I found a way to be able to talk about things, answer questions. And what helped me is knowing what you're talking about before you get challenged or questioned on it. So the notebook, the concept, the reading, all that kind of put together a nice you know, package or a bow or a box, whatever you want to call it. So when someone asked me, I would actually, was, I would challenge myself. I go, give me a fire on a church. Ask me anything about a church. And I would joke to myself. I go, I burned down more churches than anybody I know. But it was kind of like I wanted to be prepared when I got the responsibility or the rank. But in order to get there, I had to be able to verbalize what I knew about it based on the question design. 
in the test format. And it's okay that you burned down a couple churches because because <laughs> Jersey City needs some parking lots anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, just a few, not many, just a few. I, I'm I'm joking now. Well, yeah. you, what, that's one of the things you did is you you take this uh, these complex topics of how to fight fires in churches, brownstones, and all these different things, and you provide a format, a system, a way to to kind of take somebody through that because our promotional exam. Uh, here in New Jersey, and everybody has their own way. Sometimes it's just an interview with your chief of your department or your mayor. For us, it's a civil service exam. And for deputy chief, for example, it's a fire incident, a non-fire incident, a administration, administrative, uh, and a supervision. Uh, and I don't even know if they still do that now, but that's what it was when I was being tested. And I learned from you. And I'll tell you one thing that I did also is about 45 days before my test. And I know I have 10 minutes to read this scenario. I have 10 minutes to prepare it and uh, read and prepare it. And then 10 minutes to actually sit down with this panel of experts and give my answer. You know, 45 days before taking that test, I took the test every single day. And I took it at my house in front of nobody. Sometimes I would do it with some guys I was studying with, sometimes my brother, sometimes my good friend, Johnny Harris. There was one time I remember calling you up saying, hey, you know, is, is there any chance I can come run some scenarios with you? And it was great. You were on duty. I was just getting off duty. You said, come on over. I come over to Jersey City that night and I walk in and I'm going to just tell you this on a personal note. When I walked in, the thing that I loved the most was walking in your office and seeing that you had a picture of your wife and the picture of your daughters clipped onto your light. Mm -hmm. And I brought attention to that and I said, I love that you do that. And I think what you do is you you had a briefcase and the pictures were in there. When you came to work, you opened it up and then you clipped them so you could see them every day. And I'm like, there's a guy that has his priorities in order perspective. So my mind quickly went off of the whole promotional thing. And it went back to that whole, this guy has a good mentor. He's a great leader in the fire service. He's a great educator. He's passionate about the job. But he's got his priorities in order, too, because he's, he's shown me what's important. And I think that that's something that you also valued with your members. You, you wanted them to know that their families were important to you, too, the people you were leading. That's a good leadership right there. And I don't know if I ever told you that, but I wanted to bring attention to that. You know, honestly, I don't think you ever did. And ironically, that same briefcase is sitting right over here on the right side of my desk in, this, in the same pictures. Um, obviously, they're a little bit more updated. The girls have grown up a little bit. Now, yeah. of course. They're still in that briefcase. And I use the briefcase. I mean, it's it's embarrassing to look at. It's a little <laughs> rad, but I still use it, of course. But yeah, no, you never told me that. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I, not that I forgot about the pictures, but no one ever pointed that out to me before. But thank you for that. Yes. Because, you know, I think I started doing that after I became a deputy chief, because I remember I had my book that I used to carry around with me. Uh, you know, with my staffing information in it. And and one of the pages, I had pictures of my family clipped in there That because it's that important. Every now and then you have to open it up. You're having a tough day, uh, a challenging fire, whatever it may be. I, I like to just open it up when I'm at work, look at that. And it reminds me of why I do what I do. It's not, it's not a stress-free, easy job. And on that note, I want to actually talk about people in leadership positions because this is the greatest job on earth. 
we hit the lottery when you become a firefighter. You really do. You hit the lottery at the same time. Something that could make a great job not so great is if you have to work in a challenging environment because some people create unnecessary stress on a job that's already could be stressful. Um, we talked about what makes a great firefighter. Well, how about an officer? What, what what do you put on that list where you say, you know, these are great qualities of an officer? For me, for example, like on top of the list is trust. That, yeah. That's that's an important one. Um, and somebody who knows their job, obviously, right. because those are passionate. But do you have anything else you put on a list? Well, you know, I would say trust. I would say, you know, be fair, uh, you know, right down the middle of the pipe, if I can use that as an, you know, an association. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be times where, you know, you got to be firm. You're not going to be everybody's buddy. You know? Yep. Um, you know, of course, we will always love the most passionate, most motivated person to come out of the academy. And that makes your job easier. But, you know, you're going to get the challenged person. You're going to get the person that questioned things. Either if it's somebody underneath you, a subordinate, or sometimes I've had people above me, you know, that maybe I didn't agree with policy or procedure. Uh, I had some challenges over the years, especially when I got up there in rank uh, in seniority, you know, dealing with some of the, I, I say this tongue in cheek, you know, shirts and ties, on um, you know, precisions on, I couldn't, as a tour commander, I had the authority to, you know, hire overtime if I had an opening and I would get challenged on, you know, you close the company. I said, I need one guy. I said, just give me one guy. And, you know, they go fight those battles every day when I'm saying, you know what one company could do as compared to closing and putting a hole there. So it's, you know, fairness, firmness. Uh, and at the same time, yeah, trust. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I don't, not that you go out of your way to, to seek these things, either you have them or you don't. And, you know, and, and when somebody comes up and compliments you or thanks you or shakes your hand, sometimes you'd be like, like, well, why? What, what, what did I do? It's, and they're, they're, they mention these things to you. And you say, well, no, that's just what, you know, I was born into. That's the people that I followed over the years. And I'm just, you know, following their example. And if I can, at the end of the day, you know, and I would say this quite a bit uh, when I had somebody that would challenge me, I would say, listen, I'm here for one reason, right? Just to get you back home to the family, you know, be part of the team. I need you to fix A, B, and C for me. And at the end of the day, if you can't fix these things, we're going to have to talk about maybe finding you something else to do. You know, sometimes I would have to go that route. But more times than not, when I brought up family and what this is all about, you know, the fire department family and then your own family and what we're trying to do in the mission statement, we can go that way for a second. I said, think about all these little things. Think about the big picture here. And this play ball, step up. Here's your, I'm taking your line. Step up, all right? And, you know, take on your area of responsibility. Because if you don't, uh, eventually you and I are going to have a problem at some point. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this is a type of, I don't say business. I never say that this is a business. It's a profession, all right? It's different, in my opinion. A business is Amazon. A business, a business is Google, all right? This is different. This is a profession. This is a calling. This is a passion. Either you're with us or we'll help you get there. We have a lot of places that we can help you get towards passion, motivation, mentoring. You know, we, I'll get you part of the team. Finding your skill set and bringing that to the forefront, we'll find that if you let us find that. But if you're looking to collect a paycheck, you're here for benefits, I'm personally, I'm going to weed you out. 
you know, we're not going to get along at the end of the day. Your patience is wears thin to a certain you know, extent. But um, more times than not, I never had to go that route. A few times, of course, but the vast majority, it was kind of, it was just like, keep coming, keep joining the team. Come on over here. Love to have you. What do you think? Did we do well? What can we improve upon? Regardless of rank, I didn't make, didn't make a difference. The kitchen table to me was rankless. It really was. What do you I think? What do you think? What do you, I, mean, I would have kids around 18 months. What do you think, Stevie? Well, Chief, you know, and I'm and I and I go. I, Steve's talking right now, and, and we would pick something up all the time, regardless of rank and regardless of time on the job. Of course, your senior people would always offer more, their experience level, their academics, but we took off the shirts, so to speak. No bars on the collar. Everybody roundtable on that difficult second alarm earlier today, and we all picked up something almost from everybody almost every day. I love that. I love that. The kitchen table is rankless. I actually love that. I never heard it say that way, but uh, for me, that one of the terms that I often use is the best ideas have to win. And for those of us with maybe some gold on our collars and some gray hairs, we have to humble ourselves to know that the best ideas aren't always going to be ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I agree with you also with what you said, you know, you have to bring passion to the table and you can give some of the tools, the training, the resources, the time to support everything they need to succeed, but they got to bring the heart. Yep. They have to come there and say, I want to be here. And that's, it's an easy thing. Come to work, knowing you have a good job and willing to give your best effort and, and with your best attitude. And, and that's the greatest job on earth. Oftentimes when I, and you do, you travel throughout the country. Like I do, you walk into firehouses and you can tell when it's a great culture and when it's not a great culture right off the bat, meaning if it's a good working environment or not a good working environment, yeah. just based on how the attitude of the first few people you meet. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and I love that. So I want to get to, uh, we brought it up a couple of times, five ground operational cards. I actually want to talk about that for a moment. And the reason I want to talk about it is uh, going back again, probably about 2009. I want to talk about this, not to promote the book as much as to give people some hope that are interested in writing a book one day. And here's why. Number one is I wanted to, to, uh, to write books, obviously. And now I have seven, but I still remember writing my first book with two fingers and my thumb as the space bar, which was good for me because it allowed my brain to keep up with my fingers. <laughs> and five round operation guide, you and I had a conversation. We didn't have a name for it, but we said, what if we took these really study templates slash SOP templates slash field guides, because they can be used for all of that. And just put this book together saying, here's the things you have to do at a high rise fire. Here's the things you have to do at an electrical emergency. Here's the things you have to do at a water main break. Here's the things you have to do at a dumpster fire. Here's the things you have to do at a carbon monoxide investigate. You go on and on and on. There's 70 in there and a universal tactical worksheet. So we had conversations about this and we approached our publisher at the time, and you were you were an author with them already. I was not an author with them. I had a book, but not through them. So I was an unknown. And by the way, thank you, by the way, for, for even putting enough confidence in me to want to team up with me because you were already there. And what you did for me is you opened up a door that I didn't know how to open up by myself. 
And yeah, but, but let me jump in there. The operational guide concept that was, I mean, you that was yours. You came to me with that. I remember you, yeah. you know, reaching out to me, whether it was a phone call or I saw you on an event, and you came up with this idea, and which sparked my thought to say, "Wow, we got something here." Is I, a few minutes ago, I mentioned to you, I had all these little notes and notebooks on private dwelling or multiple dwellings or, you know, the strip mall. And you kind of said to me, Mike, take those. Let's just put them in like a nice format from in route to arrival, you know, all the way up to running the incident determination. And you said, I got all these things that you already worked on. I go, wait a minute. This is this sounds too good to be true. So the compliment has to go back to you. This was your baby. I just jumped on, hung on your coattail. And I think it, we did a pretty good job with that. It came out pretty cool. Well, well it's a great book. It, it's, I, but we put a disc in there. Yeah. And a disc you could put on your computer. You could download it on your computer. And I sent it to my phone. And I actually would open up that, like, a water main break's a perfect example. We've had a few water main breaks since there. And I brought up the operational guide for water main breaks to make sure that I was covering everything. Because... You know, when the mind is, when you're actively at a, and that's not a high pressure incident, it could be, it could be a stressful incident. I didn't ever found a water main break to be a stressful incident, but there's a lot that you need to do um, to make sure that it, the scene is safe. But there's two things you need for your mind to work the way that it would work in a calm, relaxed environment. And that's either peer support or a memory support tool. And, and I used these memory support tools. One of the guys I worked with, who was another deputy chief, had the book. He carried the book in the car with him. Uh, I printed all the operational guides out. I had them in a folder and I had them on my phone. But here's the thing that I want to give hope to for people that say, you know, because I know a lot of people like you do that want to write a book. We went to the publisher. They said, yeah, we want it. And I remember we must have had a dozen conversations between you and me while we were writing the book saying, well, they haven't sent the contract yet. Maybe they changed their mind. And I do remember specifically saying, you know what? Let's just write the book anyway. And if they choose not to want it, we'll just bring it to somebody else, like their competitor. And we'll get it because we know we have something good. We ended up writing the book. And uh, obviously, you know, they did publish it and it did quite well. But I know a lot of people uh, use that as templates for 70 different oper- or, or SOPs for their yes. organization. Yeah. And probably one of the best ideas. And again, I'll, I'll compliment you again on this one was the desk. I, I've, I've talked to people who have used it and I've seen throughout the travels. They said, we just took the desk. We took what you guys had and we just kind of formulated and put our, our name on top. Is that okay? I go, is that okay? I said, that was the entire intent behind this. Take that, download it and make it your own. We yeah. don't care what name you put out. We're not, that's not what we're here for. We're here just to kind of, you know, share a thought or idea, a concern, and make it your own. And the disc, I think, was probably one of the most complimentary things out of the entire book, that they could take it, put it into the computer, and they had something that they could add to right away. Yeah. You know, there's a story I never told you, by the way, and I'm actually really glad that this just popped into my head because when the book was published, it gets released at FDIC. So it's a good idea that we put in for a class for FDIC. So we put in for a class together. We go down and we teach this class on fire ground operational guides. And, you know, specifically took, I talked about the universal tactic worksheet. You talked about a specific guide in there. I think it was taxpayers. I don't remember uh, what it was. I think, I think it was, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So for me at the time, I feel like, um, 
a little league baseball player that's just stuck into an MLB all-star game and no one figured out I don't belong there. Okay. I'm teaching with Mike Turpak at FDIC. This is, by the way, this is the first time I've attended FDIC and I'm teaching right next to you. I've attended conferences. This is my first time here. So then the reviews come out. The, the reviews for Turpak were great. The reviews for me, not so great. And I thought, and I sat here and said, oh my God, I might've just destroyed this guy's career. <laughs> so I'm at the airport the next day. Okay. And I'm thinking about a couple of those reviews and I'm thinking, I really wasn't as prepared as I should have been. I should have been teaching about, even though I wrote, wrote the book with you on this, I shouldn't have been teaching about this. What I'm passionate about is leadership and team development. What I think I'm good at is, is that because of all the different areas of my life between business, uh, sports, fire service, it's what I've always been passionate about. I've failed at it as much as I've succeeded, which made me feel like I'm, I'm equipped to talk about that too, of what not to do. So here I am at the airport waiting to go home, thinking to myself in one minute, I'm never going to put in a teach at FDIC again, man, because they, 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 they were brutally honest with me. And then the very next minute I said, no, 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 I'm going to put into teach again. Matter of fact, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to write another book, but I'm going to write a book about leadership. So reviews that weren't that favorable for me, actually, I turned them around into what ultimately ended up becoming step up and lead. Yeah. Now I go to FDIC and they, and I've not had anything but a sold out class since we started doing that class down there and the reviews it's when I read the reviews, I, I'm like, it's humbling. But when I, I mean, in, in a good way, and when I see new people that are there reading their reviews, because if you don't know this, speakers at FDIC have, you know, they want you to go read your reviews. After you, when you read your reviews, they take them from the box that they were in and they move them to another one just to signify that you came to, to read them. They want you to do that. I see new instructors all the time reading the reviews, having the same look on their face that I had my first year. I go over there, chief. I go over there and I, I'm like, I, I put my arm around him and I go, brother, I've been there. And don't worry. They asked me to keynote seven years later. There's, there's light on the other side. You know, I, I'm going to reflect back. Um, I remember us teaching the class. I don't remember reading any uh, negative reviews. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that you know, you're from Jersey. You probably had a leisure suit on. You looked like one of the Sopranos. It might have something to do with your dress. I'm not really sure. It had nothing to do, if any, if I remember correctly, on content and how you presented to the audience. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't remember that conversation in that depth. I, you might be taking a little bit too far because I thought we did a great job collectively together. I mean that. Well, in retrospect, they really weren't that bad. They just felt that bad because at the time, this is my first time I'm teaching right. with you. Okay. And you are, I mean, I've said this. Uh, I mean, I've been around all over the country. Matter of fact, the education that I have in a fire service right now, just from traveling and meeting people. I was just with Lee Atchison down in, in, um, in Mont Bellevue, Texas. Man, this guy's a great leader. Spent a lot of time traveling the country, teaching himself with ISFSI. Um, and just like you, we've met the best of the best. We've met people that are doing great things. We met organizations that are struggling because they have challenges with their leadership or with their firefighters or with their policies, procedures, SOPs, you name it. And I still say to this day that 
one of the things I wish I had was the opportunity to work under the command of Mike Turpak because we were in the same area. We would, on occasion, you know, Jersey City and Kearney, we do mutual aid at multiple alarm company uh, fires uh, and, and maybe major incidents. But when I say that you were a mentor of mine, I want people to understand this. I didn't work with you. You were a mentor of mine through me reading your books, through me attending your classes, and through me having the ability to be able to pick up the phone and call you and just say, hey, chief, I just have a question for you. And, and you doing what you do, which was taking a time like you are right now to talk with me. And, uh, and I've tried to model myself after that. I've tried to make myself accessible to every single person that picks up the phone. And in the fire service, that's one of the most beautiful things about it. And you said this a couple of times. We share information. This book, take it, take it. It's yours. Use it the way you want. Print it out. Make it yours. We've provided you with what we know. Don't just make it yours. Make it better than what we gave you. So, uh, you know, and I kind of rambled there for a minute, and I, I apologize, but I just wanted to to talk about that. And we're, we're in a great profession where we share information, and people are accessible and there to help you if you if you're struggling with something and need to get through. Uh, oh, yeah. And again, uh, Frank, you, I mean, honestly, and I, I thank you for that. I mean, I, you're too kind. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm so glad, one, we had the opportunity to meet. And, you know, you and I could talk about names of people that have influenced us over the years that continue to influence us. I mean, some great Jersey people. Like, how about Paul Dansbeck, you know, other brother from New Jersey? What uh, another, I mean, another great friend and an icon. Uh, Dave McGrail out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, Todd Edwards out of Atlanta. Kurt Isaacs. Talk about a motivated guy. My God, Kurt. Yeah. If you can bottle that energy, you can uh, you can light up the East Coast. Um, so many great people. And I continue to meet people. Bobby Hoff yeah. from Chicago. Uh, Ron Cabrera from L.A. County. I was just on the phone with the other day talking about a couple other things. And, of course, our, our great friend. Talk about an inspiration. And, you know, the gentleman, he's a couple of years older than me, uh, but he's a machine, uh, Vinny Dunn. I mean, yep. think about Vinny Dunn, his career. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to say his age, but I don't know exactly what it is, but I know he's got a couple of years. And the guy, he's still writing. He's yep. on, I mean, the guy is. He's on, he's on social media. He's posting stuff on Facebook. Yeah, I, awesome. I, yeah like every a few days. And, you know, if I would call him or I would send him something, you know, DM him and he'd be right back, you know, what a very humbling gentleman, no attitude, no ego. Um, one of us at, you know, at this level, at this level, not up here. He, he talks street. Uh, and those people, those people, and that gentleman in particular motivates you to be like, to the point where you want to be like him. I said, how can I be like him? How can I be, you know, to, to the extent that we could as knowledgeable and experienced as him, but at the same time, take the lessons that he has shown us on how to talk to people at a seminar or talk to people having a cup of coffee where there's no lights on, there's no mic in front of you or that kitchen table. I mean, come on, the kitchen table to me, the apparatus floor. I mean, the amount of information that gets exchanged there, it's invaluable. You know, when the bell rings and the tones go off, all right, that's when Rank has to start to dictate policy and there's responsibility. But prior to that, my God, it's, you know, let the whole family, it's like, you know, you and I being a little bit of the Italian side, here comes the Jersey again. It's like pasta on Sunday, that big table, 
and the conversation continues to go back and forth. The bell rings, right? Now we're moving in a different direction. But prior to the bell ringing, you know, with the garlic bread coming out, and you know, it's that's that's there's a lot of great information exchanged at that moment at that time, and hopefully you're listening and wrapping your arms around it. I think that most of the firefighters who retire, when you ask them, "Do you miss it?" That's what they miss the most: the kitchen table. Yeah. Without and yes, and and Sundays and yeah. Sundays. Sunday was always a pot of sauce on on Sundays in a firehouse. Always, yes. always. Oh, what's awesome? Yeah, I mean, you just made me remember something. Uh, gosh, I don't even remember. I have something hanging up somewhere here, but it might have been like 1995 or something. I was the uh, Hudson County Italian American Firefighter of the Year, right? And and so they asked me to come over in Jersey City, and March, like with the grand marshal, you know, with my little ribbon around my thing. And here and I'm sitting there going, oh, this is crazy. I got a couple guys in my department walking over here and I'm actually embarrassed. Like, how does this happen? So you pull up in an apparatus and you get on the mic and you go, hey, excuse. So the only reason you got it is we don't have any Italian firefighters over here in Jersey City. I'm like, well, yeah, there we you were, go. We were mostly Irish, you know, mostly <laughs> Irish about back then and still live for a great for a great majority of the department. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, and that's a big deal, you know, being recognized by that group. You know, don't take that down. Yeah, that, that's um, and find that plaque and put it right behind you. You know, you know, I I know where it is. It's actually upstairs. I have another office upstairs, and I have a picture of me with all the the good fellas uh, <laughs> from that day. And uh, they they were they really are a great group of guys. And speaking of uh, Irish, okay, let's talk about this. Jimmy Burns. Oh God. My okay. God. Now, first of all, let me just tell you, Jimmy Burns. Uh, deputy chief, who I believe you replaced on your sh- Am I right about that? Um, he was, oh my God, I haven't talked about Jimmy in such a long time. He was a battalion chief. We both worked in the second battalion. And um, when I would get off in the morning, he would relieve me. You know, we were, you know working the 24 hour shifts. And, you know, I would brief him in the morning on what we did throughout the 24 hour tour, you know, the fires that we had, whatever crazy incidents we had, any inventory issues, apparatus, whatever it may be. And, you know, he would relieve me at seven o'clock in the morning, but the shift started at eight. You know, I wouldn't leave that kitchen table to nine, 10, sometimes 11 o'clock, sometimes stay and have lunch because the conversation with him, he just, he, uh, he sucked me in and he was a senior member. I mean, he was, he had quite a few years on me, but just listening to him, like if I told him we had a fire around the corner, it was in the top floor of a you know, three-story brick, and it got through the, the sheer joist pockets, he was starting to tell me a story about, I had another one around the corner in 1983. Let me tell you the chat. And it would just turn into a lesson. I mean, at the kitchen table to the point where the guys would be coming in, you know, having breakfast. The TV never went on. And they would just be sitting and listening to him tell a story. But I was, I kind of like, you know, being a commentator, asking questions. And the next thing I look at my watch is like, oh my God, it's 1030. I, you know, I've been off duty for two and a half hours, but I'm still there learning from that gentleman. A great, great fire officer. Great yeah. guy. And I worked with his son, Terry and Terrence. And I, when Jimmy retired, Terry's like, you, you know, you want to come to my dad's retirement party? I said, absolutely. I'd love to. So I go there and a few of the firefighters that he worked with, I mean, a bunch of them obviously were there, but they got up to say a few words about him. I'll never forget it as long as I live, because these guys 
started off doing what firefighters do, just telling jokes and laughing about when Chief Burns did this and when Chief Burns did that. And then it got to a point where these guys were actually in tears because of how they felt about him and how sorry they were to actually see him leaving because what he meant to them. And one of them said he wasn't always an easy guy to work for because he demanded that, you know, and do your job, but you, you never doubted whether or not he cared for you, you know, like he took care of his members and uh, I never forgot that. I mean, I always strive to say, I hope, that I can have some of the people I work with feel that way about me um, on the day that I leave. So, yeah, but I wanted to bring his name up. I actually was just uh, through social media talking with his son the other day, but I'm going to have to show him this, that we were talking about his dad. Oh my God. A great guy. I haven't, I haven't talked about him in years. And I actually met, you put a big smile on my face, a true mentor and one of the probably most senior fire officers I've ever met on the job. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Without question. So, all right. Uh, Mikey Conlon. Oh, God, another great guy. Right? Now, how great is Mikey Conlon? Now, for those of you that don't know Mikey Conlon, in, in my book, uh, Common Valor, which featured true stories about New Jersey firefighters, I feature a story about you in the book. And matter of fact, that's my favorite story because it, it puts us in a setting that where we met as if you're an academy instructor. And you have these uh, young students asking you, you're teaching them lessons. And so you teach three lessons in this story, which were incidents that you actually went through. But then after that, you said, hey, you know, you really need to you really need to uh, interview Mikey Conlon. And I said, yeah, uh, yeah. If anybody has nine lives, it's Mikey Conlon. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. This guy, he's been electrocuted, burned. He's been sent to the uh, burn center. He's had a building collapse on him, been caught yeah. in, a, in a flashover, everything. Yeah, he got caught in a backdrop, blown out the front door. I mean, yeah. I remember coming around a corner and him and his nozzle men are laying out in the street. I'm like, my God. And he gets up. You know, I mean, he's pretty well singed up. And he's back in the building. And I go, how many more does he have? You know, you know <laughs> What's left? And he was a legend in that regard, a hell of a fireman, you know, great old fire officer. And uh, he was the type of guy, and I know we've talked about this before, you know, when the shit was hitting the fan and looking at the companies coming down the street, I know you can relate this as a chief, you're looking for that one or two companies that you know are going to get this done. They're going to make that turn down the hallway and get this thing and, you know, put it in a let a headlock and make this go away. And he was one of them. His company, uh, he worked as a captain. Um, when I was a battalion in Jersey city in a second, he was in with squad four. And when the squad was coming down the block, I'm looking on I'm like, Mike, I got something for you. And whatever it was, uh, he took care of it. Another great guy. Yes. Well, he is. Cause he's one of those guys. He wants the hardest job on a fire. Oh, every time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another guy that set an example and raised the bar. He really did. Yeah. Right. It's it's great when those people come into an organization and, and actually can, can raise the level of, of performance of everybody around them if they allow it to happen, you know? Right. So yeah, I, I, man, I'm excited about that, about talking about some of these guys. Like, I'm actually thinking of two or three other people right now, but I don't even want to, bring it up because I wanted to stay focused on where we're going with this, but what is it about today's fire service that you see that you may feel is, is a sign that we're going in a right or a wrong direction. 
And I'll give you, I'll actually set this up a little bit better by saying this. Um, I see right now, as an example, that right now there seems to be a push for leadership training. And I remember when I was younger, uh, we, you know, we never had people come into our organization and provide training. You were one of the first when I got into the training division. I remember you came over and you did uh, large area rope search training for us. Up to that point, the only instructors that I feel like we had come in, they were um, because we had mandatory training we had to do. But it it seems like a lot more people are bringing instructors like you, as an example, in to say, hey, you know, we want three days of training with our officers on this topic. So I think that's a good thing, obviously. But do you see anything right now compared to the fire service you knew that you say, hey, this is a good direction. This one, maybe not. Well, I mean, to your point, there's no doubt I'm seeing that departments across the country are bringing in, for lack of a better word, outsiders, just to get another perspective on things, uh, to share a thought or idea. Not that that department is stale or stagnant, but just to bring maybe a fresh thought in, whether they wrap their arms around some of the things that you're saying. Uh, But, you know, they'll take something. I guarantee it'll take something from you. And like you said, we never had that years ago. We never had any outsiders come in. It was always, this is our way, you know, pretty much put up the wall. We're learning from within. But, you know, as the challenges mounted, and, you know, I, I talked about this quite a bit in most recent days, you know, when we got our high-rise population grew on the waterfront, uh, we couldn't go from within because we just didn't have the experience with it. So, you know, it was important to seek out information and tell uh, instructors that have seen this before, have done this before, to bring that in so we could wrap our arms around what was measurable based on our staffing and our resources and, and, and then and only then make it our own. To also to your point, leadership training, we never had that before. There was none of that before. I mean, I think when we were, you know, the old bibliography book list for promotional exams, it might have been a leadership book from, you know, from IFSTA. Right. Which, you know, you know, good series of books, but, you know, you couldn't wrap your arms around the pages. You really couldn't relate to a story. Right. So, I mean, to bring people in like that, and most notably yourself, and this is where, I, again, I complimented you when we first opened up. This is the type of information where you have to bring it to the table because it's something that even though we know we talk about it, we hear about it, maybe you see it in print, you have to have somebody come in and bring it in on the same level and talk the talk that you experience. Like yeah. whether it's whether it's the mentoring program or whether it's, you know, the people skills and dealing with the public, whatever it may be, to kind of say, you know, what you're doing is good, but let me tell you, maybe there might be a different way, maybe not necessarily a better way, but let me give you like another right. tool on how to deal with public or dealing with another agency or just dealing with a subordinate firefighter has a couple little challenges that you don't want to squash it. Maybe you just want to kind of bolster him a little bit. And I'm glad that that's, that's happening, you know, and and I'm seeing more of that over the, you know, the course of traveling and I hope it continues. And and maybe it's not maybe me, maybe it's not you, it's somebody else, but just look outside your own backyard and see what's going on over the fence and bring somebody in. You're going to get something. I guarantee you're going to get something. Invest in that. It's a great return on the investment. Our whole life, we've been taught that experience is the best teacher. Mm-hmm. And and experience is a great teacher. But in an industry like the fire service, it's not the best teacher. Other people's experience is the best teacher because think about it. I mean, we are so great at collecting information. We have 
fatality reports for every line of duty death. So for us not to say, well, let's, and I can't even tell you, uh, there's been quite a few times I would read a fatality report and say, this is like this particular structure in our organization. So let's go do a drill right now on this because now we know what went wrong there. And I want to make sure it doesn't happen here. Yeah. Even, you guys are a perfect example. The, the, uh, in Massachusetts, the cold storage fire. Yeah. Wow. It just, it was probably months after that cold storage fire. You guys had one just outside the Holland tunnel. You remember that? Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, sure. And lessons learned from that incident, you implemented yeah. to this one because we yeah. didn't, we didn't want that to happen again. Yeah, that was, that was freaky. Uh, um, uh, you're talking about the Worcester fire when the six firefighters were killed in Worcester mass. And uh, yeah. I think it was almost a year later, uh, we had a cold storage warehouse you know, downtown at the Holland Tunnel. And the crazy part about that, after that fire, a couple of guys did some research. It was the, exactly the same architect that built the building in Worcester. He had built the same building. In wow. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and we knew that we found that out later. And you know, even talking about it now, the hair on my neck stands up a little bit because, you know, we had a couple of May days there. Uh, we lucked out. We got, you know, a couple of people, you know, out of the building, but the same challenges that Worcester had, uh, we just, you know, we, they made a left, we made a right. You know, it was very, it was lucky that we didn't have a significant, you know, loss of life in that same exact building. Yeah. You know, and speaking of, of lessons learned, maybe we could talk about one of the incidents, by the way, that uh, we talked about in Common Valor. For example, the door chalk incident. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind telling that story? Because what I remember about that story was you saying initially, hey, this is going to be a piece of cake. And then you talked about what happened. You know, I've never said that ever again. You know, at an incident, I never said the word, this is going to be a piece of cake. Because I got bit in the ass I, I want. Yeah, I remember you and I talking about that. The shorter the long is, I was a captain. I just got promoted. I was assigned to, I was working at Engine 7, which was in our 3rd Battalion. And I remember this pretty clearly. We came in. It was a still alarm for a car fire. Yeah, car well involved. Not a big deal. You know, pretty much every day event. And, we're, you know, we got the car pretty much dock, knocked down, you know, PD's got the street shut down. And one of the members of the company says, says hey, Cap. I go, yeah. You go, take a look. And I look over some of the buildings, you know, from a block away. And I can see this what looks like a column of smoke. It was like a hazy night. And I got on the radio real quick. And I said, I remember saying, Engine 7 Fire Dispatch, you're getting a box of reported fire in the area of? And they said, yeah, we're putting it out now. And I said, put us in service. We're jumping on it. We're two blocks away. Took the initiative, you know, the car was out, so I was content with that. And we turned the corner, and it was a good top floor fire and a three-story brick, a row of three, uh, row of bricks, top floor going pretty good. And I had a probationary firefighter with me and a senior member, and of course I had my pump chauffeur, and it was venting out beautifully, you know, out at the back. I could see it, you know, the glow. I could see it licking up, you know, from my distance coming in. And I remember to the pro because his eyes were as big as saucer plates because I put him on the nozzle that night for that tour. And I said, John, I think his name was John. I said, John, this is going to be a walk in the park. It's already vented out the back. We're going to come up to the top floor. We're just going to push it out the back. And he looked at me and he had all the confidence in the world at that moment because I, I was the captain. And we stretched up and, you know, we stretched dry. We, we got, you know, it was a couple rooms deep. So 
I remember pushing, forcing the front door of the of the public hallway. And I remember we immediately picked up another door a few feet in. Unknownst to me at the time, it was a closet. It was like a little narrow hallway. So I remember going past the two doors. We had to make a right. You know, we stopped. We had control of the door to those two rooms that were involved and calling for water and calling for water and then calling for water. And the engine seven chauffeur was saying, Cap, you know, it's line is charged. And obviously what had happened, not only did the apartment door from the public hallway close on the line, that second door into the narrow hallway from the closet closed on the line. So I had it pinched by two different doors. And I remember we had a, a, like a tiny bit of water just, just touching the ceiling and it was rolling. And as the probationary member came back on top of me and he was, you know, he was pretty upset, obviously yelling and screaming and all I could say to him because he was right here in my face I'm in his ear I go just keep the line flowing and I'm trying to get to my radio you know to give a mayday I couldn't get to it because he's on top of me and you know it's it's one of those moments you know the mask is all going yellow and orange you know you, you can feel the heat pushing on you and by the grace of God a member from 15 engine second to engine can hear the probie yelling and screaming and I'm just trying to you know Keep it, just keep it falling. I'm just trying to get to my radio. I knew what the problem was because when he pushed me back, we actually pinned ourselves against it. We couldn't get the doors open because they swung the opposite way. And a gentleman by the name of, talk about another great guy, Pete Greasy, captain of 15, he heard us, you know, he heard all the yelling and screaming from the probing and he pushed he just kept pushing we were like leaning he, we were, it was like one of these accordion things on the doors because he was trying to push in and we were leaning back he saw the line he knew what was going on and whether he came in i don't know what he did pete's a big guy he pushed it enough to the point where he pushed us forward which i said oh, we're, now we're in serious trouble but enough that water quickly got into the line we got enough up there all right to darken it a little bit all right. And we rolled out the door. The line was now whipping around. He passed this crawl on top of us. We're out to the hall. We picked up the line and him and his company took care of the two rooms. I grabbed my guy. We scrambled you know, down the steps. We go through the other companies that are coming up. And the both of us look like you know, sunburned steam. And I remember sitting on the back step of the apparatus, looking at him, talking to him, you know, trying to calm him down, you know, explain what had happened. And saying to myself, once I felt he was comfortable, you know, just to leave him for a second, I remember walking down the street going, why, what, what did I do wrong? What happened here? How did I get myself into that position? And it came simply down to the fact of a dry line with a door closing on the line. And ever since then, I talked about controlling the door, chalking the door, I explained the story. I think we even talked about it my, maybe in probie school, if I'm not mistaken, when you were with me. And you know, it was something that was, you know, I, I actually it took me years to even tell my wife about that story. It was to me, it was it was close. It was, you know, it was I would think we were 30 seconds, 60 seconds away from getting seriously burned. And thank God we just kept the water moving enough just to keep it off of, it was rolling nicely at the back, thank God. But it was, it was close. Honestly, it was very close. And that's why I wanted to, you to share that story is because you did tell that to us when I was brand new on the job. 
And because of that, we all, we went to our firehouse after the academy one day. We're still in the academy. And we actually asked us, I don't even know who it was. I think it was the, you know, a carpenter or a uh, um, uh, maybe training officer. I don't know who it was. We asked if we can get some chocks for the door. And they cut them for us right there and gave them. We all put two of them in our pockets because yeah. of that lesson. Um, you learn from other people's mistakes or experiences. Uh, and then you just said something that I just talked about yesterday when I was out in Texas. It, you said it took me years to tell my wife that story. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a minute and just talk about this because I used to come home. And if I had those incidents that you just, you know, they weigh a little bit on you, you saw something, uh, you went through a, a challenging time. You had that, that, that close encounter. I never wanted to tell my wife about it. I would just come home and, and, and it would be weighing on my mind. I'd be thinking about it. And she, she, how was your day? It was all right. Yet maybe two weeks later, uh, I'd be out with a bunch of firefighters and our wives. And we would just be talking about what happened that day a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, yeah. And then this happened, that happened and what you did and that. And I remember her one time saying to me, how come you never talked to me about your days the way that you talked to them? And I just said, because it, they understand. And it's, it's hard for me to want to bring this home because the last thing I want you to think is that every day is like that, yeah. that, you know, that, that every day I go to work, I don't want you to wonder, am I coming home? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I want to be, I'm pretty accurate with this. I don't think my wife knew about that story and even some of the other stories that we talked about in your book um, until she read your book. Really? And then brought it to my attention. And I responded the same way that you did. You know, I you know, it didn't want to burden you with this. I didn't want you to worry about this. Everything's okay. You know, I learned a lot. We were, it was fine. It was just a, a little mishap. Uh, but I don't think she knew about it until she read the book, your book. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and speaking of that, so when you reach a leadership position as a, tour commander like you were like i was i would meet these young firefighters i'd meet their wives they or their fiancés they'd bring them in and mostly their wives were and husbands too but but i always made it a point to take that minute and get to know them and i found myself at some point in that conversation if we're if we're all out at a party somewhere if it's at the fire station if it's at a you know a community event wherever it is the firehouse picnic every year I'd always make it a point to say, listen, I just want you to know that your husband is my top priority when I come to work every day. Every decision that I make, I have one thought in mind. I'm getting them home to you at the end of every shift. Something to that effect, I would say, maybe not, maybe not like that to a brand new person, but but I just wanted them to know that that. The, the man that your husband or wife works under cares about them and, and understands that, you know, that they have a family too. And one of the things that I loved doing was every single, when I would walk around our stations, we have multiple stations like you do. And I'd run into a firefighter here and there uh, in the stations. I'd always take that one minute just to say, how's your family? How's your wife? And know them by name. 
by the way, you know, you know, how's Karen doing and, and how'd Susan do in her soccer game last week, things like that. And it always made him feel like, you know what? Hey man, this guy, like, like he, he connects with us. He's one of us now at the same time, I'm holding you accountable on the fire ground. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Yeah. uh, That's a great quality and trait. I think of a boss, you know, taking the time to just, you know, before you bring in the, the duties and responsibilities of the day, how's the family? You know, I saw the article about your son and hit the home run or whatever it may be. And that resonates, that opens the door for further conversation. And they realize that you're vested in them, not only as a f- boss, but at, as a friend, you know, at the end of the day. So great quality and trade. I think of a fire officer. How's the family? I mean, think about the value of that question. How's your family? It, it carries so much weight. It really, I mean, in a positive way, it's, it's such a great thing because I loved when I saw when a firefighter would take their helmet off and they had a picture of their wife and children or husband inside their fire helmet. And I would say, are those your kids or even in their locker? How old are they now? They still playing that sport? Yeah. I mean, sometimes the picture in the locker, the kids are eight and nine and now they're in college. Yeah. You know, and it's like, are you kidding me? They're in college. And you'd have these great conversations. Yeah. So I've been there. You know, I I wanted to end with with something that might help some people, too, is three letters that I learned from you that helped me on every single fire ground as an incident commander. And it helped me in life because I utilize this in life, which is R-E-R. Review. Yeah. Great. Review evaluate and revise yeah, yeah and i on every fire ground where i was ever and it's in a commander there's always a point where i would stop by and say let me just review what we're doing evaluate is this the right tactic and if not revise it but you know what i implement that in my life regularly to where and i have identified something actually this is a, a eureka moment i've identified something really recently and i don't think i came up with it at all. I'm sure plenty of people thought about this before me, but one of the things I just realized was what makes people happy. And this is it in one word, progress. Progress makes people happy. What it is, is whatever you're trying to accomplish in life, say you want to write a book, you want to get promoted, whatever it is in life, if you're making progress towards that goal, you tend to be happier than when you're not. At least that's in my life. So so I take that, what I learned from you, that RER, and I sit here and I think, well, first of all, the most important thing is let me identify what is it that I want? That's the most important part. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Uh, for example, my, three times while I'm talking, my kids open a door because I was in Texas for the past three days. I just got back and they want to you know, play a game. So they open a door looking at me and I'm, and I'm giving them the signal, you know, two minutes, two more minutes, like Like that's one of my, I want that family time, right? It's important for me. So every day I'll say to myself, um, am I, am I getting that? If not, I need to reevaluate and revise in order to achieve that. And I'm working on a new book right now. Do you apply that in your life too, RER? Or was it just a fire ground thing? I think both. I mean, I'll tell you the story. I don't know if I ever told you this. The RER, did I ever tell you where I got that from? No. I picked that up. The legendary Chief Alan Brunacini. Okay. Yes, absolutely. He wrote a book in the 70s called Fire Command. 
And I remember reading it in the late 70s and early 80s. And he had like this plan, believe it or not, it kind of helped me put together like our little approach on how to handle a structure fire for promotional exams, you know, in route, arrival, all the things we've talked about before. And he had in his table of contents, and I'm reading his kind of segue of how when you get there, you do this. When you arrive, you do that. You do your on-scene size up and report. He had in one of his steps, RER. And I remember reading this. It had to be you know, late 70s, early 80s. And I'm like, my God, that makes great sense. At one point, once the companies are assigned and working, you got your management you know, outline and divisions, groups, sectors, whatever the hell you do. You have to seek progress reports from these guys and gals, and if necessary, review what they're saying, evaluate it, and if you have to, revise your incident action plan right, to now meet the new challenge based on what you saw and what they told you. That goes way back in Mr. Brunacini, a legend in his time. I mean, a guy that's very yes. well missed greatly. Yeah. Uh, and that was his. I, I just took it and I applied it to promotionals. I applied it to, you know, working in the street. And of course, like, as you just mentioned, the example, of course, you applied to your, you know, your life on a daily basis with family, uh, friends, whatever the challenges is, challenges are at home. Yeah. That was Mr. Brunicini's. Not well, my. I, I, so I, I went in, I, I was walking down the hall at FDIC one time and I see, you know, you could see who's speaking in each room on on the uh, the poster outside the door. And I see, oh, Brunacini's here right now. I need to, I need to go see him. I open it up. The class had just begun, and I sit in the back. He's on the he's on his opening slide. I'm like, this is perfect. It's his opening slide. I mean, I'm going to see his whole presentation. I have a notebook with me already. I open it up and I sit down to take notes. And he's doing a typical fireside chat. He's sitting on a chair. He's every. I mean, it's very intimate even though it's a large classroom an hour and 45 minutes into the class, he's still on the opening slide and it's a mesmerizing class. You're thinking you learn so much. It's got nothing to do with that. He's he's, he actually allowed the class to, to kind of flow in whatever direction it went in based on the conversation he was having with everybody. And I thought, man, one day I hope to get there. Yeah. Because that yeah. was, it was pretty awesome. He told some great stories. He, he was a different person. And he was the only guy, if you remember, who taught at a venue like that, FDIC or Firehouse, that could teach in a flowered Hawaiian shirt. Yes. We all, we all had to be in jackets and ties and, you know, all look prim and proper. He walked in like he was going to leave the class and go to the beach and have a margarita. Yeah. You know? That's he, true. He was allowed to do that, and rightfully so. He earned every bit of that. Rightfully so. He was on a he was on a different plane. He really was. You know, my brother. When I uh, was assigned as the training officer, I had this conversation with my brother, and he said, uh, "Listen, you're in a position where you can make great change in our organization." I said, "What kind of change can I make?" He says, well, "What do you think we need?" I said, "Joe, we have four different groups. It's like we have four different departments. I don't even know where to start." I go, "We don't even have any." fire-related SOPs. He goes, why don't you write them? I said, I don't know how to write them. He goes, Frank, you go to Phoenix Fire Department's website, print those out, put your name on top. You just wrote one. <laughs> yeah. So we share yeah. information in the fire service, right? And, yeah. you know, and, and they really, they set the standard in a lot of areas that way, especially with customer service because of his example or community service, uh, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it's, I'm glad we had a chance to actually 
Yeah, he, he, he was definitely a guy that was ahead of his time in those in that field. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Without question. Listen, Chief, I appreciate that you took the time to come on here and talk with me and our listeners and share a little bit about your background, your passion, what you believe in, and how can people get a hold of you for either promotional or your books or speaking? Oh, a couple opportunities. Uh, I'm I'm like I'm on Facebook like most people at Mike Turpak Fire Service Training, uh, Instagram at Mike Turpak. Probably the two easiest places through social media to grab me to send a message. Uh, emails are posted there on the Facebook page, but Facebook Mike Turpak Fire Service Training Consulting and Instagram just at Mike Turpak is probably the simplest and easiest way to reach out for a conversation. Uh, whatever we can help you with, or if I can't help, I can point you in the direction of a lot of great people. Obviously, yourself being one of them. Well, I appreciate that. Chief, thank you so much. Tell your wife I said thank you also for letting us borrow you for this long. Oh, no problem. Give my best to your wife and family. Uh, the, the same things. Tell Joe. I haven't seen Joe in such a long time. Tell you Joe. Yeah, I said hello. I'm going to see him tomorrow, so I'll tell him that for sure. Yeah, please do. Great guy. All right, Chief, thank you very much. You take care of yourself. You too, Frank. Thanks so much. 